Welcome to Mutuality Matters, Gender Theology for the Gospel Empowerment of Men and Women. I'm Blake Dean, here with my co-host Aaron Mones, and today we are excited to host author, pastor, and activist Sandra Maria Van Opstel. Sandra Maria Van Opstel is a second-generation Latina, pastor at Grace and Peace Community on the west side of Chicago. She's a preacher, liturgist, and activist who is reimagining the intersection of worship and justice. Through her years working with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Urban Missions Conference, Latino National Leadership Team, and Northwestern Universities Team, she mobilized many people for God's mission of reconciliation and justice in the world. In addition to her ministry experience, Sandra holds a Master's of Divinity from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Illinois and has been published in multiple journals. She's authored or contributed to four full works, including her book, The Next Worship. In addition to her current pastoral role, she is currently helping create online content through Seminary Now and is founding executive director of Chasing Justice, which is a movement led by people of color to mobilize a lifestyle of faith and justice. And for this conversation, I was busy getting married, so I was not able to be present. But Erin, what should I also be listening to as I listen with our listeners? Yes. Yeah. Sadly, Blake Dean was not able to be with us, but you do have a very good excuse. I mean, the best excuse. Yeah, the best excuse. Uh, So we are very mazel tov on on your on your marriage. We are we are so happy for you. Um, But this conversation with Sandra, we were so glad to be able to to grab her up. Guys, she is such an influencer and such a powerful leader. But uh, this is this is one of those things where I don't think we can get away from talking about gender theology and inclusion in church leadership and the shape of the church without also talking about race and ethnicity. Um, because a lot of times we just stop at the water's edge thinking, oh, we've got female leadership, we've got male leadership, good, we're, we're doing great. And so what Sandra does is she really gives us um, a picture of the church in all of its multicultural beauty um, and talks a little about why. Why does the church need to be multicultural? And also, how do we get it wrong when we often try to do this? Because there is a lot um, that we need to understand and dismantle, which ultimately affects how we understand gender theology, because these are the same issues that we have when trying to integrate women into leadership positions. So she she brilliantly talks through all this with us, and I'm so excited that um, we get to listen to her. So we, we hope you enjoy this. Well, listeners, we are so excited to be here today with a guest that I know you are going to love, and um, she has so much cool stuff to bring us today. And I can't wait to introduce you to all of the, all of her expertise and all the things that she brings. So, so before I get into it, you guys all know that we start with watch, read, or listen. And I will just say that right now, I I finally finished um, a book that I've just been sort of uh, petering through this this whole COVID time, and it is Jim Wallace's um, America's Original Sin, and I have just sort of had it on my bedside table and been picking it up. But um, for those of you who are start trying to expand your library with uh, different readings about America's racial history, especially as it affects the church, I highly recommend this one. It's a it's it's an older publication, but definitely a good one. And And I started it a while back and finally finished it. So happy to recommend that. So that is what I have been reading lately. So Sandra, what have you been watching or reading or listening to during this COVID time? 
Okay, so I'm going to give you two. I have been watching Elementary on Hulu. So um, I don't know why I got sucked into it, but I, I was like, hmm, let me just check this out. It's not new or anything. And then I got like sucked into it. I like to I like to solve things. I like to have, maybe it's because there's there needs to be something in life that we can like solve. And there's so much about what I do that's never ending, um, never has a solution in the end. It's kind of an <laughs> ongoing journey. So I think that's that's what I like about that show. And then I'm reading um, or listening to because it's it's um, audible. So I'm I'm listening to the book uh, The Body Keeps Score, um, and it l- looks at kind of how trauma um, impacts our bodies and how that impacts our mental health. And um, someone recommended it to me for many many reasons, but I'm really really enjoying thinking about how we are created as like a whole person, like our minds, our intellect, our emotions, and our physical presence. So, mm. yep. Wonderful. I love that. And elementary, such a such a good rendition of the Sherlock Holmes. Like, it's, it's such a great take. And of course, Lucy Liu is... Yeah, that's why I started watching, because what happened was, you know, there's not much to watch on television anymore. Right. There's no new movies coming out. So I watched all the Charlie's Angels uh, movies, and then I was like, yes. man, Lucy Liu, what has she been in lately? And then I, like, you know, did a rabbit trail, and then I found her on Elementary, and I was like, I just like her. I like her. She's, <laughs> so I stayed she's there. She's so great. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm all about that. So, well, guys, we are so excited to have on the podcast with us, um, Reverend Sandra, who is, you guys just heard her bio, but um, there is uh, so much I have learned from her. I was telling her right before we started recording about how I found her a couple summers ago and picked up her book, um, The Next Worship, um, which we highly recommend, and we'll be putting a link to in the show notes for you. But as we talk about gender theology, and especially about how we think of the church with men and women, um, there's this point of intersectionality that is so important, and we can't just stop at the water's edge with thinking about leadership and inclusion of men and women. Um, it, it would be a sin to not um, think holistically about when we're thinking about our church leadership, we need to be thinking bigger than just men and women. We need to be thinking about all of our brothers and sisters um, in our communities and across the globe. And so I'm excited to have this conversation today. So Sandra, just just to start off, um, for, for so many of our listeners who probably haven't even had the idea of uh, multiculturalism within their church on their radar um so many of us go to homogenous churches what is what is one of the top things that what should what is a priority in terms of why we should think about the church having multi-cultural elements like having sort of this integration of people in the leadership and in the congregation why is that important I mean, um, that's who we are. That's the DNA of the church. So um, if you think about uh, where the church originated, where the church has been and where the church is, as, as God, and by church, I mean like just God's people, um, we are a global family. And the reality is that only 11% of that family resides in North America, Europe, and Australia. So a majority of that Um, global family is actually not in the West and not white. If it's true um, that the majority of the church um, is located outside of even our country or our kind of part of the world, then we have to be asking questions about what does it mean for us to be connected to and actually in solidarity with and in mutuality with this global family we call the church. And so for me, it has to do with, first of all, the scriptures 
define us as one body and we have to figure out what exactly that means but one body and then the reality the socio-cultural reality is that this body exists on every single continent that we have in in our world and so we are connected we are one we are one body so we have to be asking the questions of what does it look like to live into this reality in hospitality and solidarity and in mutuality with the global church. That's the theological reality. That's the sociocultural reality. And then comes like even our experience, our, our lived reality here in, in the U.S., which is that we are living in very increasingly diverse spaces. So even if we thought our space was homogeneous, we're going to ethnically and racially, we're going to find out actually that our communities have changed and the surrounding cities have changed and the people that we interact with have changed. And we, we want to have the ability to love one another across our differences and love is expressed differently in different cultures. So we, that's just kind of a very practical and, and both, both a theological and practical reality. I think a result of that or kind of like a residual of that is that we, in that interacting with people that are different than us, we get to actually experience the creativity and the breadth of beauty that is God's creation because just everything, sounds, tastes, colors, you know, um, foods, you know, uh, ways of being, uh, ways of communicating um, are, are so vastly different than our own. Um, and so I think the result of that is being able to encounter um, things about ourselves and about the world and about God that we never knew before we encountered a different community or culture. Yes. Yeah, that is that is so good. And it, it, it's really um, been pressed upon me the last few years how important this conversation is in our local church because, um, like, for example, in talking about gender theology um, and, and talking about, like, the inclusion of women and church leadership and a lot of what we talk about on this podcast, it still seems like this conversation and the way we talk about it and the way we think about it is still happening in these largely white spaces. And so we aren't uh, expanding even the idea of how um, race and ethnicity are just as much a part of this conversation we sort of get we we get pigeonholed in thinking oh as long as we have leadership of men and women then that's you know that's the goal and and we silo away from from thinking about no if this is really who the church is and and if this is what the the global the the future church the 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 timeless church is all tribes tongues and nations um and we don't even know our neighbors uh then we have to rethink our ecclesiology all together but it, it's really become more evident to me how often even i have caught myself just sort of siloing and, and narrowing down this conversation about gender theology and not thinking about how race and ethnicity and multiculturalism are are very much embedded in this conversation. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, um, because I know this is a problem that I see both in, in educational institutions as well as the church, but um, there might be some folks who we, we feel very progressive, very forward thinking, okay, we're going to bring in some different kinds of people and put them on staff. But what ends up happening looks a lot more like tokenism than actual actual empowering people and being in solidarity um with them so for a lot of our listeners who i know might 
might want to push and impress upon their church the need to rethink the homogeny that has is so much um, a part of our, our, our church cultures. Um, they might sit on their church vestry or they might, you know, be, um, be a part of church leadership and they're thinking, yes, diversity, we need to, we need to do this. Um, how do we, what advice would you give and say, here's some things to think about, or some questions to ask yourself um, so that we don't fall into the sin of tokenism when trying to think about our churches? Why? I mean, the first question I would ask is why? Why diversity? And that's the, and then that'll probably lead to another seven questions underneath that why. Um, but, you know, it, it happens the same with, with all of it with, you know, people are like, we need to have more women in leadership. It's like, well, why? Why do you need more women in leadership? What are you trying to address with that? You know, right. what what is absent if they're not there? You know, so in the same way that pe- churches go through or communities go through that experience of wanting to make sure that there is equitable and diverse representation within their churches on the issue of gender, you'd want to also ask that question on the issue of generations, on the issue of race and ethnicity. It's like, well, why do you want us there? And I think if you can't answer that question well, then then the people that are coming in will know that you don't know what you're actually doing. And it's not that you have to be perfect at what you're at, at what you're doing, but it's like, well, why do you want me there? If it's because like, oh, we got like a um, you know, that's what we're doing now. We want to have diversity because that's what everyone's doing. And we want to be able to, if it's like, oh, we want to reach out to our neighborhood. We want to minister to our neighborhood. So in order to minister to our neighborhood, we need to have this, you know, this, to include this. But I think those, those questions, actually, the answer to that question, why, helps me know where the person is located in their experience. So for example, I worked for a college ministry. You know, there were a lot of other college ministries that were doing ethnic specific outreach and ministry. And what I realized was that the college ministry I was working with was the only one that was not just seeing it as a missional thing, you know, like, well, we want to reach more, I mean, you fill in the blank, Latinas, you know, so want to reach more Latinx um, leaders on the campus. And in order to reach, in order to reach the Latina community on campus, we have to have Latina staff workers. So we have to Latina, Latinx people in, in ministry to reach out to Latinx students. And so it was kind of this missional thing, but it wasn't like because our organization is missing something because those staff and students are not present, you know, like most of them was like this kind of missional piece, like reach out to them, go and save them. No one's helping them kind of the, the object of our work, but not really a relationship or a connection. What I think I really appreciated about, and not no, no institution is perfect, but I, what I really appreciate was that in that process, in the space I was working on, people took very seriously a couple things. One was not only that Latinx students were a mission, but that we were, um, that there were certain ways that we approached spirituality and faith that were distinct to who we were. So we were going to form some discipleship groups and some, you know, um, for example, we had contextualized fund development for those of us that were on staff and needed to raise support, which looked seriously at how, how do our communities think about raising um, prayer and financial support and what are some of the barriers and what are some of the burdens and what are some of the gifts and what are, so every single ethnic community group had their 
own contextualized fund development. I don't know of another institution that had something like that. Um, in the same way we had it for like women, we had a whole task force that was like raising support in ministry as a woman, as a married woman, as a married woman who's now having children. And we know all those things affect it. It's like, if you're a woman in ministry and you have a kid, people are like, oh, she'll probably go part-time. She'll probably quit her job. She'll probably stay at home. We're gonna just move our funding somewhere else. If a man puts a picture of a new baby on his prayer letter, you know, on his kind of support raising thing, all of a sudden it's like, oh, now he has a family to feed. We better give him some money. You know, like, so it's like women having children, women in ministry having children is actually a detriment to our financial future. Whereas hmm. men having kids is actually like, they know they're going to, you know, be able to like get more support because of it. So it's all these, so we had all these contextualized experience, you know, we had conversations, women doing this, and then we, they brought in women of color. And it was like, well, let's talk about not being a woman in ministry, raising support and coming from a black community, a native community, an Asian community, a Latina community. And how does that then inter that intersection help us understand that? So I think there was so much work done beyond just like, we want to reach them. So if your answer is like, we want to reach them, I'm just like, no. Mm. No. Yeah. Because we are then the object of your diversity. You're doing it to bring us into your thing, but you're not doing it because you're thinking to yourself, like we, we are in need. This is, this is something we, that would enrich our understanding of God. It would enrich our understanding of what a faith community looks like. It would enrich our understanding of what worship and generosity and justice looks like. And, and without your presence here, we are lacking in something. I think when that's the answer that's given, again, on culture, on generation, on whatever, then you can say, okay, there's probably going to be some mutuality here. But without that being the answer, there's probably not going to be much mutuality. It's going to be like, oh, as long as you're in our seats, we're pretty happy about the situation. If the answer to the question, why do you need diversity is because we want our faith to be informed by people of different backgrounds, then it's probably more likely you're going to actually allow us to participate not only as recipients of ministry, but as teachers and as preachers and as leaders. Um, and most of the tokenism that we experience in faith communities and in communities in general is like, as long as you're occupying a seat and I can take a picture of you and I can put it on my you know, ch uh, church's website, then I feel pretty good about the diversity that's here without asking any questions about um, who's actually represented in leadership and of those people represented in leadership who actually has power and, um, you know, and who's just there because they're occupying a seat and it makes us feel really good that we're all of a sudden um, multicultural. So I think the the answer to the why do you want diversity, I think, informs the pathway towards diversity that is rooted in racial justice and mutuality. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. And, and and these are, these are lessons I've only just begun to learn, and I'm still learning about. Um, and you, you bring up something that I want to, that I want to dig a little bit deeper on, um, which is uh, who has power in the church and bringing um, people together, especially in leadership in church and in trying to create inclusive spaces, but finding yourself now with different people from different backgrounds and different ideas. I've talked to so many women who are in denominations where they ordain women um, and allow them to serve in leadership, but they get into those positions and they still find themselves in this odd and uncomfortable place with the other men that they're serving with or um 
in in these uh, in these weird power dynamics. And so I would I would love to hear uh, you talk a little bit about what does it mean to have to go into our churches knowing that there are dominant power structures and dominant culture structures that need to be dismantled in order for us to actually be honest about what it means to be inclusive and be in solidarity with people. Because I know this is this is something that people are a little uncomfortable talking about at times, but but the idea if we're getting if we're really serious about wanting to be the church and wanting to to emulate the gospel and and to have this beautiful multi multicultural church, um then, then I, then I think we have to talk about this. We have to hear more about this. So, can can you can you get us uncomfortable for a little bit and and talk about what it means to dismantle power structures and dominant culture in our churches? Yes, yeah, I'm going to talk about dismantling power by talking about my backyard. So, <laughs> hang with right. me here. Right. Um, I have an awesome backyard. I live in the city of Chicago, like city proper. And if you know anything about urban centers, it's not like there's a whole lot of space or parks around for us to play around in. Um, so you can imagine when we're stuck in a social situation where we have to be distancing from one another and, uh, you know, stay kind of in your space that if you live in a in an experience where you don't have like a large backyard or a park nearby or even a path to walk on that you can become kind of crazy. So um, this year, we've really been able to enjoy our backyard, like serious for real, lots of time in the backyard. Yeah. Um, and... Um, the reason I comment on that is because we lived in this apart in this house for this is our over 10 years, you know, so over 10 years, for the first 10 years, we, it was like, we had like what looked like grass in the backyard, but actually underneath it was like loads and loads of concrete because there had been parking pads there and there had been, I don't know, this kind of concrete pad where I guess they put lawn furniture on and there had been like all these things. And, and over the years, weeds and grass and, you know, just dirt accumulated on top of it. So if you looked at it from afar, it looked like grass, but we have two little kids. So we're like, Oh, we're not going to send two little kids to go play soccer in the backyard. And then they fall down and whoops, that's like not grass. It's actually a, you know, a piece of a, like a sharp rock that just cut them. Mm. And so we said, you know what, let's just, it's time, it's time to do the backyard, you know? And so we had a friend of ours come, um, who was a, a company, he came and did the backyard and, um, you know, it had to go through a process. Like um, they had to bring in these bobcat like digger things to come into the backyard and like pull up everything that was underneath that, what looked like grass. We had two full like, um, containers, those huge containers they put outside yeah. of a house when there's construction, mm -hmm. full of cement that came from our grass in the back, our quote unquote grass in the backyard. My husband found old milk jugs from like 1920s and 50s in there. He found crate. I mean, I don't even know what was underneath there. Anyway, they come, they dug all of it up. I mean, they worked for like literally like two weeks digging up kind of after they did that, they had to come back and fill it with dirt and like even it out and all this stuff. And then you know, they came back and then they rained for like a long, long time. And then they came back one day and like in a matter of two hours, they put all this sod on and, you know, like grass on and it looked beautiful, you know. Um, and the day that they were doing all this work with the bobcat, I was looking out my window and I remember the Lord really, he like, the Lord spoke to my heart really strongly and gave me a vision that that was what the church needed. 
people that were would do the sweat. I mean, when you look at them, they were sweating. They weren't even digging. The machine was digging, but riding that thing was so intense that they were like sweating and shaking. The church believes it has grass in the backyard. Yes, I hear you. But it's not grass at all. It looks like grass. It appears to be grass, but it's not grass. And unless mm. we're willing to go in and to dig out, to have the courageous ability to dig out all of the garbage and the nonsense and the toxicity and the damaging pieces that are underneath that, when we go out and play in that backyard, we will get cut up. That's the situation we're in. And yeah. I believe that the diversity conversations, the reconciliation conversations, the inclusion conversations that we're having are at the level of putting some grass, some weed and feed on top of something that is really concrete. Right. And then we're disappointed when people get hurt. We're disappointed when stuff doesn't grow. We're disappointed when it's difficult to mow the back lawn. But, but the reality is we haven't actually done the work. We have to go and dig up the toxicity of white supremacy. We have to go and dig up the, the, and look at and examine the history of our country as it relates to native genocide, black enslavement, and abuses and oppression to Asian American and Latino communities. We have to look at that. And unless we're willing to look at that, really we're just saying, can we just put some more weed and feed on it this year? And 10 years later, we're like, it's still not looking like grass. This year, when I sent my kids out to play in that grass every single day, you know, since March, um, I felt like they would be safe because if they fell down, what they would hit was dirt, you know, and not some sharp rebarb or coil that was stuck in there from some mm -hmm. demolition that they had done back way back when. So I, I believe that we don't want to do that work in the church. I just, I truly believe it. It takes so much work. It's so much sweating and so much shaking and it's so costly and it takes so many weeks to dig up all of that stuff that we would rather just pretend that what we have is grass. Um, so let's just have a conversation about unconscious bias and then think that we did the work. Let's just hire a, a black or a Latina or Asian American or native um, staff and pretend that that's diversity when we actually don't give them any power at all. So I think the question of power has to do with, are we willing to do the work of dismantling and digging up? And as Jeremiah says, to, 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 to uproot and to tear down the things and the systems and the structures of white supremacy and patriarchy that are in the church. If we're not willing to do that, then we're going to have what looks like diversity that is not diversity at all. Oh, Sandra, thank you. That is such a powerful picture. And, um, and I think you're right. It's, it seems ironic to me that as Christians, what is embedded in the heart of our theology is, is this uh, repentance and, and, and grace and ability to, to, to look at ourselves and say, no, I, I'm, I need to, to listen and be taught and, and be shown and, and let the, the sin in me be dismantled by powerful forces. Um, and yet we struggle. We, we refuse to enter into this process um, because of the pain of it. But as Christians, this is, this is sort of our bread and butter. This should be, this should be sort of what we do well and what we do best um, because of our understanding of Christ. And yet um, it seems to be the place that is most stubborn um, and doesn't have any regard for, for the, for the process. Um, but I, gosh, I just, yeah, that picture is really so powerful. And, and something you, you brought up talking about 
the vocabulary of things like diversity and inclusion. Um, we're having these conversations at the institution where I work. And and to be honest, now when people say things like diversity, it almost comes up like a red flag in terms of wondering, like, what are, what are we talking about here? What are, what are we actually talking about here? And uh, so thinking about the real picture of the church that we're we're discussing that isn't tokenism, that isn't just people for the brochure or the website. Um, what sort of language do you tend to use when you're talking about something that looks closer to this vision of the church that comes from scripture, that comes from the heart of God? Um, is it is it mutuality? Is it solidarity? I know I myself struggle to, to know how to articulate that. I mean, the language I use is equity and justice. I think the language um, is justice because um, we, we serve a God of justice and the pursuit of justice leads to God's shalom, God's peace, God's flourishing for all of God's people. And I, I think that until that happens, that's what we're on. That's what we're on the journey towards is a journey towards justice, towards making all things new and all things right. Um, and so where things aren't right, we practice rightness, rightness with God, rightness with one another, rightness in relationship to um, the earth, rightness in relationship of one community to another. Um, and I think that what makes that difficult for us, particularly in the West, is because our cultural value, which is different than race, our cultural value of individualism is so strong that we can't think in communal categories when we read scripture. And we can't think of communal categories when we think about the pursuit of reconciliation and justice. We think about one-on-one, -on -one, your friendships, you know, who you have coffee with, who your neighbor is, which is all fantastic. But if we don't ask questions about the structures and the systems and the policies that oppress our neighbors, then we aren't really neighboring at all. We have to ask questions about that. We have to be able to address the systemic things that impact the flourishing of our neighbor. Mm -hmm. And so you can say, well, I have, you know, I speak Spanish. I learned to speak Spanish and I've been to Costa Rica on mission three times. And, you know, all those things that we like to, you know, that's like, oh, you know, you're pretty far in the journey. You know, like you have some cultural attitude, probably uh, you're bicultural, you're, you know, you're, you're multilingual maybe. But the reality is that you, you can go on a million mission trips. Your church can have a great partnership with someone in Honduras. <laughs> you know, you can speak two languages. And if you are not raising your voice for the policies that are creating a dehumanizing structure for those who are coming from Honduras, then you are not pursuing justice. You're just simply patting yourself on the back for sending some water and thinking that you did a great big thing. You're mm. not asking why is it that we're sending water in the first place? What is it that happened here? And how do we make those things that are not right, right? And so I think at the center of that, it's like, it's something as simple as it starts as something as simple as inclusion, but it goes to and always results in questions of systemic justice that are very hard for us to get to if we can only think in relational terms. So let me take an example and maybe it's, it's helpful. Um, you know, I always tell people, hey, go to your, turn around and look at your book, bookshelf right now. Look at your bookshelf and tell me who are the people that are influencing your understanding of who our creator is. What we're on this earth for and where we're going to when this is all over. Who's influencing you? And my guess is most of us have been influenced by white men. 
Okay. So the question is, is it that white men are the universal donor? Like these people, white men are just O negative. Everything they do is for everyone and nothing anyone does is for them. Hmm. They are the givers to all people and they are the receivers of only people like them. I'm O negative blood type, so I know that. <laughs> I die if I get anyone else's blood. Everybody can get my blood. I'm the universal donor. Wow. Is that because white men are saying to themselves, we are so much better than everyone else. I'm a male. People should listen to me. I'm white. People should listen to me. No, it's because we have structures and institutions that are rooted in white supremacy and patriarchy that tell us it's completely acceptable that 91% of all the readings that men read are by white men. And we don't speak to that. Mm. And so women do the same thing. I mean, if you look at uh, conferences led by white women, authors who are white women, influencers who are white women, and look at who they're interviewing on their podcasts. Look at who they're quoting in their in their work. Look at who they're referring to. Look at who their pictures are, with, all with white women. So it's not mm. like they're like, we don't want to be around women of color. They're so hard to be around, you know? It's that we're reinforcing a narrative that says, you have everything you need with people who are like you, because white people don't need anything from anyone else. Mm. So it's not intentional, but it is destructive. Mm. And it's then internalized by people of color because then we don't see ourselves as authors. We don't see ourselves as leaders. We don't see ourselves as preachers because we've never, we cannot become something we have not seen. Mm. Amen. Publishers, churches, uh, nonprofit organizations, Fortune 500 companies, you don't see women of color in places of power, authority, and leadership. So how in the world are you going to think to yourself as a 12-year-old girl, I want to be the CEO of a marketing firm. I want to be the president of the United States. Hmm. I want to be the mayor of my city. You're never going to think that because people like you don't do things like that. And even when you do get your degrees and even when you do get educated at their institutions under their tutelage reading their books and you still kill it you're still suspect in all the places you go wow and yeah. so that's that's experiential yes that's my individual story yes it very much is but it's not just that me sandra i have i'm insecure and i never thought i could be something because i came from a community of immigrants it's because the world is not designed for me Leadership is not designed for me. Those platforms are not designed for me because I belong to a community that is not represented in those spaces. So it's systemic, it's intentional, and it's evil, and it's dehumanizing. It, it is something as simple as look at your bookshelf, examine your podcast that you listen to, think about the last 20 people that you texted. If everybody is just like you socioeconomically and racially, then you are practicing white supremacy, whether you like it or not. And therefore, how else could you possibly overcome your unconscious bias that you have towards people of color or people of color towards other people of color if you're never in contact with communities, with those particular communities? Um, so I don't, I, I really don't think it's like all of us wake up and go, I want to be a racist today, you know? I think that we're formed intentionally by a culture that told us that everything that is American and Christian is exceptional and better than everything else. So we are the ones that get to say whether another culture is practicing syncretism or not, although we are incredibly syncretistic with our faith. 
um, we get to decide whether Marxism is biblical or not, or whether communism is biblical or not, or whether um, forms of worship that include tribal drumming is, is Christian or not. We get to decide that. We examine it. We do PhDs on it. We write books on it. We tell other people it's okay or it's not okay. So that whole practice structurally is uh, toxic, evil, problematic, yeah. um, and intentional. And it's, I think once you start doing your reading and you start looking at history, you see that it was designed. It wasn't on accident. It was very designed. So yeah, you want to have grass in your backyard, you better get ready, ready to dig up some concrete and some barbed wire and some, and find that you might have to bring in someone to, to, to clear out some toxic waste that's in your backyard because you can't just plant something on top of something that, that has historically erased the human dignity of your brothers and sisters. Yes. Amen. And it sucks. The work is hard, you know, like, yeah. uh, so I just have to say, I'm like, I'm so tired. You're like, um, when, when, God, when God gave me that image, I told my husband, I said, oh my gosh, I just had a moment on, on, on the back deck. I have to tell you about this. And I told him and he was like, oh man, that sucks. And I was like, I know, I don't want to work like that. I want to be the person that comes in and puts the sod down. And I have friends whose calling is to come in and do that work. They help people make those connections and build those bridges and do that work. And I want to be called to that. In the church, we each have our own specific role and calling. And the way that God wired and designed me is to have the strength to sit on that bobcat and to shake and sweat until all of the garbage and the things that are dangerous to our souls is gone. And then somebody else comes in and does <laughs> the filling in of the dirt and the laying down of the sod and the watering. So I, I don't think everyone is called to do that work. I think that in our communities, we have people that are called to do different things, which is, you know, it's a gift that we're not all the same. But who likes the person that's going to come in and say, your leadership curriculum in your institution for training pastors has eight books and all of those eight books is written by a white male who's affluent, educated, and sat in an air-conditioned office when they wrote that. The commentaries that you're using to shape your sermon series are all written by people who are farther away from the social reality of the people in scripture than anyone else in this congregation. So why are they getting to tell us what this passage says? Like no one wants to do that work. I mean, I certainly don't, but it's a difficult work, but what you get in the end of it, like, I mean, I'm loving our backyard this year. I just love it. You know, it took us 18 months to get there, but this year I was like, what foresight we had to have that project last kind of winter spring so that this summer we could sit and enjoy this backyard to its fullest like i don't think anyone on the other end of the work has said to themselves you know i should have never pursued racial justice i should have never pursued mutuality with the global church i should have never like on the other end of it when you start to see the joy and the richness and the depth and the connectedness that you feel to god when you're doing the work you're saying to yourself what, how did I even survive my Christian faith without these brothers and sisters? How did I even understand the world without knowing um, the kind of healing that our world needs and can experience through the church? So I think um, my hope is that people would be able to hold out to that hope on the other end and say, on the other end of this, there's going to be a backyard that's fantastic and we're going to really enjoy it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes, Sandra, thank I just, I cannot amen this enough. I just sitting here and I'm just like, keep going, keep going, keep going. Cause that, that is such a, oh, it's such a good word. And you're right. Because I, I feel like so many of our listeners, this, these words that you were saying is stirring. I think there are people 
of justice, of people who are are leaning towards these things, but are are looking for that stirring. But that work has to be done, and for for anyone who is is sensing God moving in them as they listen to this, I just want to encourage you. Let's let's figure out what it looks like to do that work because there is the hard, tough, difficult, really um, heartbreaking, backbreaking work of dismantling the evil that has has seeped into into our churches um, and in white supremacy and in patriarchy and all of these things. Um, but but I, I don't think we can talk about gender theology. And this is why this is this is such an important thing for for us, why we wanted to have um, episodes that talked about this. I don't think we can talk about gender theology. And we can't just sit there and, and exegete Second Timothy 2 without talking about this, without really thinking about all of the ways that these hierarchies have um, poisoned um, our churches and our communities. Um, and it's, it's just gotta be a conversation we have to have. So, so if listeners are, are feeling a little, a little uncomfortable at this point, I just want to say thank you for sticking it out because this is important and we need to hear it and we need to listen. Um, uh, you, something you were describing, Sung Chen Ra's uh, book, Prophetic Lament, he describes uh, a, a thing that uh, parents go through when they're adopting a child from another um, country. And it, it has these white pebbles and these these black pebbles and they say okay put in the color of the pebble into the bowl um that best answers the question who are the authors on your bookshelves what are what is the race of the um people whose music you listen to who are the last 10 people that came and visited your house who are the last people you texted and it, it says okay now put in the pebble that represents um, the race of the child you're looking to adopt. And it's just this great visual of this usually bowl full of white pebbles and then this black pebble that goes on top. And I think that is such an important exercise. I think I think all of us should be <laughs> as, as far as, as as white people go, like we should be we should be doing these exercises. We should be thinking through this because um, that is incredibly eye opening when we just sort of do a cultural audit of our of our lives and ourselves. Um, because if we really do believe this, if we're nodding to any of this, those are the hard questions. Those are the examinations that we we actually absolutely have to do. So um, so I love I love that you just brought that word. Thank you for um, bringing a word to us today, listeners. I hope you will uh, hear this and re-listen to it. And uh, we want you to go and purchase uh, the books that we have linked in the show notes for you. And Sandra, am I correct that you have a seminary course that is coming out that people can register for with Seminary Now? Is that correct? Yeah, there's a course that's on Seminary Now's platform um, on diversity and worship, but it looks at a lot of things, leadership and kind of Christian practices. Um, and then also if folks want to follow us on Chasing Justice, we're doing some master classes and things in the area of um, how do we pursue racial justice and look for a way forward together. Awesome. Wonderful. We will put uh, links to those in the show notes and blast all this on social media. Guys, we need to educate ourselves and this is important. Um, thank you listeners for being with us today and thank you Pastor Sandra, for um, for just your the generosity and expertise. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you guys so much for listening. And man, what a rich conversation! I was sad to not be there, but honored and excited now to just be able to learn and listen as a student under um, 
Sandra's wisdom. Um, Erin, what did you love getting to talk to her about? Gosh, I felt like I was just sitting at the feet of someone and, and she was just expounding these truths. And I, and I mentioned this in the podcast, but like, this is a journey I've been on just for a few years and I'm still on. And the topic of um, really creating churches that reflect the global church and all of their all of their multiculturalism are are going to force us to have really serious conversations about race and ethnicity and gender in the church. Um, and I just, I think she's given us a manual to start off with a way that we can uh, begin to think about how, how we approach this um, as church leaders. So uh, man, I, I just, I just feel blessed by it. And I think we would be remiss um, and certainly not taking her seriously if we didn't turn her words in on ourselves. Yeah. Um, because we are a podcast run by two white people exactly who interview lots of white people (laughs) uh man what work we still have to do even in this space indeed the small little project that we have but what what work we still have to do to get more voices that do not look like ours or sound like ours or have the same perspectives that we do and maybe make us more faithful interpreters of scripture i loved the image of her backyard i think i'm gonna think about that and that that i'm I'm gonna use that even if just for my own self as like really important things. And the other thing that I want to point out after listening to it that you and I talk a lot about is the word syncretism, Mm. which is the combination or amalgamation, if I could, Mm -hmm, um, of two different um, schools of thought, maybe is a crass way to say it, but two often competing, sometimes compatible, but not synonymous ways of thinking or Mm -hmm. ways of being in the world. Um, theologically, we think about this as um, the combination of like a gospel-centered cr- way of thinking Christianly with American ideals mm-hmm. or Western ideals or um, other schools of thought. So I, I think her observations that were very brief um, have gotten me, me to begin to think um, about the ways that I can even think um Synchristically, is that the way I would say that word? I think so. I think you're using that well. And um, and how we we being the majority culture, white people, mm-hmm. um, can often police the syncretism of yes. others. Yes. Um, and not police our own syncretisms. Yeah. So indeed, um, I think that that is a good that is a good word. Um, I'm I loved that conversation. Ah, yes. Um, so listeners, uh, go back and listen to this again. Enjoy it. Let her words uh, sink into you. If there's something in this that made you uncomfortable or maybe triggered a defensive response in you, we encourage you to listen to that and kind of dig into that and think, where's that coming from? How am I feeling about this? These are all, it's, it's so important for us to listen to voices of color and people of color, especially in the church and, and allow the Holy Spirit to do its work. So we encourage you to really lean in on this. Um, but we also want you to support Sandra. So go follow her on Twitter and be sure to check out her Seminary Now class along with uh, the resource from Chasing Justice that she mentioned. Um, We've also linked her books in the show notes and we encourage you to buy them and to read them um, in an effort to decolonize our bookshelf just like she challenged us to do. So um, we just want to say 
Thank you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can leave us a rating or review on whatever podcast platform you use. That really helps um, the podcast uh, get known to other people. And we appreciate you connecting us to other listeners. Uh, also, leave us feedback. We love your feedback. And if you really, really, really love the podcast, we encourage you to join our Patreon account and become a patron of the podcast. Um, you'll receive early releases of podcast episodes as well as uh, unique and varying additional content from your favorite co-host. Blake Dean and I, we tend to riff on a number of things and we decide to let some of you guys in on that on the Patreon, but it's exclusive to our patrons, so you'd have to become a member to, to check that out. So we encourage you to do that. Um, and I am Aaron Monez, uh, here with Blake Dean, my co-host, and of course our fabulous producer, Bailey Dingley, and we are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. Thank you.